0: Yeah. It is Thursday, August fifteenth, here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauf. With me as always, is Jared Smola, and the perfect drafts are live on DraftSharks.com. We have draft plans posted for ten team, twelve team. 14 team leagues, we've got PPR, we've got non-PPR, and Jared, an old friend of mine, Brian Duffy, who now lives in the Chicago area, actually asked me this morning just the kind of question that Mm -hmm. these articles will answer. He's got the 7th pick in a 12-team PPR league. It starts two running backs, two wide receivers, one flex. He's wondering if he should go running back or wide receiver with that seventh pick in the first round, especially if the top six picks are yeah. all running backs. What do you think? Yeah,
1: that's a tough spot in the middle of the first round. I mean, nice. I think if Zeke gets there, I'm definitely taking him. I'd say if you love one of those like next-tier running backs like Joe Mix and James Conner, you can just lock him up there. But personally, you know, now that we've gotten to lineup setting leagues, I've been targeting the top end wide receivers there more often than just sort of seeing what gets back to me. I think in most cases you're going to get someone like Mixon, Nick Chubb, Delvin Cook making it back to you in the second round. So locking up that elite wide receiver in the first and then coming back with a running back.
0: Yeah, I, I think the tough part of it is you. no matter who you pick, you're going to wonder if you should have gone yeah. a different direction. The good part is I don't really think there's a wrong answer. The wrong answer is going to be the one who ultimately gets hurt or something in the regular season. But I don't know, among Mixon... Chubb, Connor, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham—among those guys, I don't think any of those guys is really going to bust if healthy right. this year. So I think it's a it's a good spot to get somebody good.
1: Yeah, yeah. The seven pick is tough in the first round, but I, it tends to be a spot I like in the second round. You sort of get like that, like some of the last guys. I think for it really starts to drop off a bit into you know some of the guys with more question marks, like an Antonio Brown.
0: Yeah, and I agree. You'll you'll probably find a running back or two that you like coming back to you. You'll probably also find Mike Evans, maybe even somebody like Juju Mm -hmm. Smith-Schuster getting to you there. So it's really a good spot. I would recommend to anybody who is drafting in that range to do some mocks, maybe with the mock draft trainer. Try it both ways and see how your team comes out afterward and see what you think. Uh, But splitting those two picks between a wide receiver and a running back, whichever order you go, I think is a good way to go. The fact that he starts two receivers instead of three... Might make me lean a little bit more toward a running back, but again, it can work either way.
1: It wouldn't make me, too, be excited about Travis Kelsey in the second round if he gets there. Mm -hmm. Besides
0: that specific question, Jared, what are some of your takeaways from putting together your perfect draft articles this week?
1: Let's go position by position here. For me, doing these and looking at ADP, really seeing where guys are going, I kind of have two spots on targeting quarterbacks at this point, and it's like the eighth, ninth round range if Carson Wentz or Cam Newton gets there. It seems like at this point, there's a better chance Newton's available. So I'm excited if I can get him in the eighth or ninth. If I miss out on those two guys, I'm really looking at that point to Dak Prescott, Mitchell Trubisky in the 12th or 13th. And if I can't get either of those guys, I'm just sort of waiting until the very end of the draft and, and just you know grabbing whoever's left over.
0: Yeah, the Wentz-Newton combo is getting my focus too in the same range in 10-team drafts. I think eighth round for Carson Wentz is a good spot with Cam Newton as a fallback. Let's hope that the Curtis Samuel buzz doesn't turn into Cam Newton's <laughs> ADP climbing but it hasn't it hasn't gotten too high at this point for me it's James Winston Dak Prescott over the next few rounds rounds 11 12 are, are kind of the spot where I'm going if i don't if somebody happens to grab Wentz and Newton ahead of me over to running back uh, what about the top of that board with all the the question marks created yeah. by the holdouts yeah,
1: and again like we just talked about you know with the, with the question with the seven pick uh, i'm still taking Any of those top five running backs, if I can get them, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Zeke Elliott, David Johnson. After that, though, I've started to find myself pivoting to the wide receivers. And again, coming back with a running back in the second round, potentially, definitely a running back in the third round. We've talked about, you know, all the guys we love in that range, Kerryon Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Aaron Jones being the top targets. And then in the fourth round, too, I love Chris Carson. It seems like at this point, that's sort of where we have to take him in round four.
0: Yeah, and running back also in the non-PPR drafts, because I ha- that's something I have a lot less exposure to until I'm doing the perfect draft. Mm-hmm. I-, I found that taking as many as four running backs among your first five picks in a 10-team non-PPR can be a nice way to start your draft. There are enough wide receiver options from rounds five through eight or nine, yeah. and even to ten at times, to stock your wide receiver spots, especially if you only have to start two of those a week. And really, within the first four to five rounds, you could get four running backs with 200-plus carry potential this year. That's a level that only 14 guys got to last year. And, you know, obviously, we don't know who's going to get hurt in that range. Somebody's going to miss out on those carries because he gets hurt. But if you start your team with three top running backs or four top running backs, you're ensuring yourself against that you are loading up potentially on those high carry backs and you're giving yourself trade market material.
1: Yeah. And especially if you're in a, a non PPR league that starts two running backs, only two wideouts, and a flex spot, which is, you know, that's the format we base these perfect drafts on. You know, you, you want a running back in your flex spot in there, I think in a lineup setting that you sort of want that higher floor in non PPR. So I think, yeah, it makes sense to grab at least three running backs early and yeah, maybe even four.
0: And part of the key I think is there's not a whole lot of difference between the wide receivers we're generally looking at in round four mm-hmm. and the wide receivers that we're looking at in round eight. And, you know, obviously they could score quite a bit differently from each other. But if you're comparing, like, Tyler Lockett and Allen Robinson, yep. I don't think it would be shocking at all if Allen Robinson finishes the season outscoring Tyler Lockett.
1: Yep, and that's sort of exactly why I can move on to wide receivers here. That, again, you know, I'm trying to grab one of those elite guys up top. And Hula Jones and Odell Beckham are still, you know, my top two guys. I can't argue with DeAndre Hopkins, Devonta Adams. they're They're safe. Um, But, you know, grab that elite wideout, and then to me, like you said, after, you know, Those first four rounds that, you know, round five through eight range really pound some wide receivers there. DJ Moore, Tyler Boyd, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson. I like all those guys. If I can get, you know, two or three of them, I'm pretty happy.
0: Yep, it's a good range for wide receivers. It's a good range for a couple of tight ends. Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry got a lot of my focus in perfect draft. So, you know, you could take Travis Kelsey if if he makes it to round two or at the end of round one if you want to because of the wide receivers in that range, because of the running backs that we talked about in rounds two and three. And I agree with the ranges that you talked about for the wideouts and 10-team drafts. At tight end, on the 10-team drafts, I felt myself not as interested in Travis Kelsey inside of round one. Of course, there's a better chance there that he actually makes it to you around the turn in round two. But I'm not scared of missing out on Kelsey because like round five and maybe even yeah. round six, according to ADP, I can get Evan Ingram.
1: Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. Like Kelsey in round two is definitely a consideration. If I don't get him, I, I I find myself not really targeting Zach Ertz and George Kittle where they're going. I just rather wait, like you said, to the fifth round and hope OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, just one of those guys makes it to me. And if I miss on those guys, I I'm, I still like Jordan Reed where you can get him in the uh, you know twelfth, thirteenth round. Austin Hooper goes a bit earlier. I know we both like him, especially in PPR. So tight ends a spot. You know, as usual, I'm pretty flexible and just mm-hmm. taking you know wherever i see the value drop yeah
0: don't feel like at any point you have to get a tight end right there i think that's maybe the the biggest position for that I, I, you know duking it out with quarterback but uh you get it we'll be answering a bunch more questions along those lines on today's show of course a, a lot more of those questions are answered in those perfect draft articles if you're a ds insider that's just a sampling of the stuff that we get to go through pick by pick round by round all of the formats mentioned First, now, before we get to the mailbag today, let's check the news desk, a.k.a. Shark Bites. And we'll start, of course, with the injuries because those are the big things to track this time of year. And Andrew Luck is the biggest one. And the latest is that not that he's going to miss week one... But we don't know that he's necessarily going to play in week one. His calf strain has turned into, quote, a high ankle like issue, according to his GM, Chris Ballard. That was told to the Athletic Zach Kiefer. What are we doing with him right Yeah,
1: and, and the scary thing about it is it seems like the Colts still don't know exactly what's wrong with Andrew Luck. It's, it's not a normal injury. So they're mm-hmm. still trying to figure out how to manage the pain, how to, you know, get him back to 100%. Chris Ballard, like you said, Didn't guarantee that Luck will be ready for week one. That's the first time we had heard that. Dr. David Chow had a nice article on Luck. He said, you know, even if he's out there for week one, he's not going to be at 100% considering, you know, we're three weeks away from the opener now and he's still sidelined. So Luck for me, with the depth at quarterback and how many guys we like at the position, he's sort of just off my board at this point, even if he drops. He he has dropped. I looked over the last two days on drafts, on draft.com, and he's going in the eighth round now. Um, he's still quarterback five, though. He he's basically in the Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray tier now. And I, you know, I, at this point, I would take both those guys over Luck just because we know they're going to be out there for Week One.
0: Yeah, I say they just put a walking boot on him, work exclusively out of the shotgun, and have him throw quick shots to those speedy receivers he has, and we'll be all set.
1: It's funny you mention that, too, because we need to, at some point, talk about, too, you know, what what do you do with T.Y. Hilton, and even, you know, farther down the line, um, Devin Fungus and Paris Campbell, because if Luck's not out there for Week 1, it definitely hurts those guys.
0: I think the only reason I haven't thought about that more to this point is that Hilton just hasn't been getting to me, because I'm usually looking running back in the range where he goes I, I suppose I would treat him differently, but it you know, it really hasn't come up and, and Devin Funch is going late enough that yeah. I don't care yet. Until we hear uh, Andrew Luck's out until week five, then maybe I'll think differently.
1: Yeah, and I also think Jacoby Persat is a you know pretty quality backup where he can keep the passing game afloat if Luck does miss time.
0: An amateur philosopher, though. (laughs) So Beyond Andrew Luck, of course, there are other injury issues. Oh, and I I made this note, but I almost forgot to mention it. Uh, The situation with Andrew Luck actually makes the Chargers, I think, a better draft target as a defense. Uh, When they open with the Colts, you look at that and think, I don't know if I want to draft a defense, I'm not going to want to start week one. But if we're getting either a less than 100% Andrew Luck or no Andrew Luck, in a home game for the Chargers. That's suddenly looking like a pretty good spot for the Chargers defense. After that, they're at the Lions, home for the Texans, at Miami, home for the Broncos and Steelers back-to-back, at the Titans and Bears. In that entire range, the Houston game is the only one that I would currently be worried about. I think possibly the rest of those games the Chargers could be a top 12 defense.
1: I, I wouldn't even worry about the Texans game because, yeah, they might give us some points. But, I mean, that, that's a major mismatch when you look at the Chargers' D-line versus Houston's O-line. So, you know, it could easily be a four- or five-sack game for the Chargers.
0: Yeah, I mean, that very well might also be a week where I would start the Chargers. So they're, they're a good draft target at this point. Mm-hmm. Odell Beckham is dealing with a hip injury. doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I, yeah. Of course, a while ago, we didn't think the Andrew Luck thing was a big deal.
1: Exactly. So it's definitely something to monitor. Um, Beckham sat out full team drills on Wednesday, but he did do some individual stuff. Um, so you know, that, that tells me it's not a big concern you know, if he's doing anything at this point in mid-August. So something to monitor, but you know, we, we haven't moved him down the rankings. Yeah,
0: we've seen Beckham enough times just come back from whenever he's hurt and be Odell yep. Beckham right away. So not worried. Dante Moncrief returned to practice today, Thursday. No, had a finger injury. Doesn't seem like something we're gonna have to worry about.
1: Yeah, interesting though because you know Moncrief seemed pretty set as the Steelers' number two wide receiver before the injury. He misses a week. James Washington goes out has the big preseason opener. So I think that, you know the door might be open for Washington to pass Moncrief on the depth chart. But it'll be something to watch here in the second preseason game, and I think especially the third.
0: Still been a couple of guys that I just haven't really been drafting much. I'll take one here or there, but not a specific target for me. I
1: I, I was taking Moncrie for a while because it seems like it seemed like people were sort of slow to catch up to the news on him being the number two. Um, but I, I did sort of back off a bit with that finger injury.
0: Mm. Kenyon Drake out with a right foot injury that had him in a walking boot this week. Head coach Brian Flores says he's going to be out quote a while.
1: Yeah, and Flora said he's quote hopeful that Drake will be ready for Week One, which to me, you know, means he's questionable. So you know, we'll see. I, I'm not. I'm not a Kalen Bellage fan, but he mm-hmm. he has the opportunity here. And if you know Drake isn't ready for Week One, I think Ballage will be a fantasy starter just based on volume.
0: On top of this, if we get a week where Bellage does something positive in the preseason, his ADP is yes. going to skyrocket. I, I mean, I would already expect that it's going to be up probably into round eight pretty soon, even Mm -hmm. if he doesn't do anything particularly noteworthy. But that's going to be something to watch. Kalen Balazs for me is not at any point going to be a I-gotta-have-him guy. If he stays in the round 10 range through this Kenyon Drake news, then I certainly think that he's... Uh, worth getting some exposure to.
1: Yep, up to around nine in drafts over the past two days. You know, that's a round or two higher than he had been going. And that probably doesn't, you know, completely factor in the the latest Drake news. So, yeah, we'll have to see. I had been drafting him some in the double-digit rounds. If he gets much higher, he's sort of going to be off my board. Because, again, Mm -hmm. I still don't believe in him as a player. And, you know, Drake's going to be back back at some point. Or the offense, exactly. And I I still think a healthy Drake is going to be the lead guy in that backfield.
0: When is their game this weekend?
1: Good question. There's games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even Monday. They're sort of all spread out, so I I, I don't know.
0: I'd be curious <laughs> to watch where Balaj. That that yeah. tells you all you need to know about the Dolphins <laughs> this year. Is my Dolphins fan co-host doesn't know when right. they're playing this weekend. It's uh, a Friday. There you go. So Friday night, we'll all be watching for Kalen Balaj's huge performance and, and <laughs> rock it up. He Maybe he could have an uh, Amir Abdullah preseason from here. Plantar fascia irritation for Amari <laughs> Cooper and irritation is just kind of an irritating way for them to talk about it because it doesn't say it's a specific injury. I guess it's better than if they said he had plantar fasciitis because that's the kind of thing that can just linger for a long time. Players play through it, but it's one of those pain management things. So, you know, we'll watch it, Mm -hmm. I guess for now. I'm not adjusting my outlook for Cooper though.
1: Yeah, we haven't moved him in the rankings. it uh, doesn't sound like the Cowboys are concerned. You know, maybe use it as a tiebreaker if you're a side between you know Cooper and Stephon Diggs. Maybe you lean towards Diggs for now.
0: Mm. Damian <laughs> Harris is dealing with a quote minor hand slash wrist injury, according to a team insider Jeff Howe. Anything else we got on that?
1: No, I mean, I, I think I, I sort of took it as a positive that he didn't play in the preseason opener, but it seems like the injury is why, and maybe not because, you know, the Patriots plan on having Harris play a big role out of the gate. So, I don't know. Sonny Michelle has been climbing up my rankings just because he's healthy for now. You know, he's been running as the starter in camp. We've heard some stuff about an increased passing game role. For Michelle. So, you know, he, he's sort of climbing and, and Harris has sort of been falling down my rankings.
0: Yeah. He's uh, Sony, Michelle's got my focus. Damian Harris, I've not been very interested in if he's, if he dips down into like round 13 or yeah. lower, then sure. I will take some of him. Uh, but for now, he's not in my plans. Ankle sprain for bears wide receiver, Anthony Miller, he's going to miss a little bit more yeah. time. Hasn't returned from it yet. It's not really clear when they expect him back yet. It's a bigger issue for him I think, because last year he had multiple injuries. He was right. coming off the, what was it, the Liz Frank sprain, or was it a Jones uh, fracture? Yes.
1: yeah, he had some foot injury coming into the league. Obviously, you know, had the shoulder injury throughout last season, missed all the spring rehabbing the shoulder. Now he's missing training camp time. So, yeah, I, I still like the player. Like I like the Bears offense, but Miller at this point is sort of, dropped off my radar as a late-round target. There's just too many other wide receivers that are healthy and that I like more at this point.
0: Yeah, certainly if he stays in round 13, 14, 15 range, he's fine fine to be in the mix, take him there. He's an upside player when he's healthy, a player we like when healthy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll see exactly where he settles as we head into the big draft weekends. Emmanuel Sanders has become (laughs) more of a draft factor, even though we just learned that he had tightrope surgery On the other ankle this offseason, not the one where he tore his Achilles in December. That was the left one. This was on the right ankle. And apparently this is actually good news because he said that the injury was something he suffered in like the middle of 2017. It was still bothering him heading into last season. He said that he entered 2018 thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this season with the way my ankle feels Sanders blamed that injury for helping cause his Achilles tear on the other side. You know, you never really know how much truth there is to that. But it was at least bothering him enough to that point that he was thinking about it like that. So, Sanders has had both ankles repaired. He started training camp on time. Teammates and coaches say he looks like his old self, according to reports. And head coach Vic Fangio says... He expects Sanders to play at some point in the preseason.
1: This has to be like the most amazing recovery in like the history of humankind. Like I, I thought, I thought Sanders was going to open on the pup list after a you know, torn Achilles in December, but he's already back on the field. Like we've said, the, the ankle surgery to me seems like good news, more good mm-hmm. than bad. Um, if it's been bothering him for that long, I, I'm excited to see him on the field in preseason. Everything you know, we've heard and seen. You know, we've seen some videos of him at practice. Seems like he's. You know, somewhere close to 100%.
0: Yeah, he has climbed back up draft boards as Sanders. So he's not a a draft all the time player for me. But when Sanders comes up in the range where he makes sense in my rankings, I'm certainly fine with taking him at this point. After starting the spring with him as a, I'm not touching him player.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's well within his range of outcomes that he leads the Broncos in targets this season. And if you can get, you know, any wide receiver one in the you know tenth, eleventh round of drafts, it's definitely worth a worth taking that shot.
0: And he's in a situation where he could dominate his team's targets. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the season with like a 27 percent target share. Yep, it's possible. Uh Darius Geis, not yet cleared for game action been practicing so I've kind of been not worrying too yeah. much about the injury but this is a reminder that he's not all the way back yet
1: right torn ACL and he ended up having what like I think it was like three surgeries on because there were complications or infections or something so it was more than just a standard ACL yeah so I think just a good reminder that you know, even if he plays week one, he's probably looking at, you know, some type of reduced role and probably a guy who's going to be better over the second half of the season than the first.
0: And we're also getting negative reports on Washington's training staff and handling yeah. injuries in general from the whole Trent Williams situation. Sua Cravens, who used to play there, is speaking poorly of his experience there. So it doesn't give you confidence with them guiding Geist back to the field. <laughs> For now, it's just, you know, a situation they kind of have to watch. He has at least been going late enough where it's like, uh, eh, all right, I'll, yeah. I'll take a shot on Geis and and frankly, Adrian Peterson is also going late enough where you can draft both of them. Yeah. Limit the downside risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just don't don't spend too much draft capital on the Redskins. But yes. yeah, I mean, if you can get Geis in the tenth and Peterson in the fourteenth, I think that makes some sense.
0: Yeah. Don't double up on Washington running backs <laughs> and Washington receivers though. That's too much. <laughs> right. The Patriots traded for another tight end. That's not even breaking news at this point. <laughs> Uh, They recently traded for Eric Seibert, I think that's how you say his last name, from the Falcons, and he didn't do anything with the Falcons so far, and the the trade makes it sound like he was about to get cut because Mm -hmm. he got traded for a conditional 7th rounder, but did have 190 total receptions over his four seasons in college at Drake, 17 touchdowns over his final two years, big guy, 6'5", 253, 72nd percentile 40, 85th percentile broad at the 2017 Combine. Was on a roster, though, that already had Austin Hooper, Logan Paulson, Luke Stocker, yeah. all experienced NFL tight ends. New England's taking a shot on him. They add him to this stable that seems ever-growing. Now it's Seibert, Ben Watson, Matt Lacoste, Lance Kendricks, Steven Anderson, Ryan Izzo, Andrew Beck. Who is Ma- Andrew Beck? <laughs> That's just the guy who's on the roster. <laughs> um, Matt Lacoste is dealing with an ankle sprain yeah. right now, uh, and Ben Watson has that suspension to start the year.
1: Right, it sounded like Lacoste was the favorite to open the season as the starter, as, as the lead pass catching tight end. Um, Doctor David Chow thinks his ankle, his ankle injury is a high ankle sprain, which you know put him in doubt for Week One. So you know that might give Saber a better chance to to make the team at least. Not someone we're drafting at this point. Ben Watson's the intriguing guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he I've been reading good things about him in training camp. You know he's built a rapport with Brady already. You can't draft him with the four-game suspension, but you know maybe as we get into October, he's a guy we're looking at on waiver wires.
0: So yeah, that's why that's basically the only reason that we are interested in guys like uh, Matt Lacoste and Eric Seibert at this point. Mm-hmm. We'll see where things go. Wouldn't draft any of them, but names to keep in mind as the season approaches. So now it's gonna be time to dip back into our mailbag. But first, the show is sponsored by the FFPC. Go to myffpc.com. For a variety of contest types, the flagship contest, of course, is the main event that includes live drafting in Las Vegas, online drafts you can do from anywhere, and an industry-leading $500,000 grand prize. Register your main event entries at myffpc.com, that's myffpc.com. And while you're there, you can jump into best ball drafts to get comfortable with the format. Of course, it's tight end premium, two flexes, two wide receivers in the starting lineup. Test out your draft strategies. See how other FFPC players are drafting because I guarantee it's going to be different than the ADP that you see in other places. And of course, check out DraftSharks.com too. You can find multiple FFPC style draft recaps to help you construct a plan going into your draft.
1: And we got to do another one of those pretty soon. What do you think?
0: It seems like it's probably time to. Now, though, let's see what questions listeners are pondering as you gear up for your own drafts. And we're going to start with Ryan Closus on Facebook. What are your top three factors when ranking similar players at the same position? And for for starters here, Jared, I know that we both start by doing team-by-team projections and then we combine those teams to see where guys land versus other players at their position. So we're, you know, we're starting by figuring out the numbers for the team as opposed to ranking wide receivers against each other.
1: Yeah, I think you need to do team by team projections. If you're not, or if you're not using rankings that do, I think you're going to run into issues. That said, the projections to me aren't the final rankings. They're you mm-hmm. know 70 to 80 percent of it, but you have to do some massaging. And so, so here, here's my top three factors to answer ryan's question my first one is upside and that becomes more important the later you get in drafts especially but i just think you now you win fantasy leagues by finding those guys who you know crush their draft position more so than you know losing fantasy leagues because you you're, you're drafting busts i think if you mm-hmm. find you know those two or three guys that really crush where you drafted them that's how you're going to win your fantasy league so upside for me is how i break ties in my rankings or projections first then I'm going to look at the general, you know, supporting cast, the situation, the offense, the guy plays, and I'd rather have someone on the Chiefs than you know the Redskins this season, for example, if I'm comparing two guys there. And the last I would thing, also
0: throw opportunity into that same bucket yes. because if a guy is going to get 30% of the targets yes. in a mediocre offense, that can be better than the third wide receiver yeah. in a good offense.
1: To me, to me, volume's is like my number one thing. So I didn't even really include it here. Like <laughs> yeah. If I think someone's going to, if I think a, a guy's a much better bet for volume, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to take that guy regardless of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, th- my last thing is just like gut feel, just like a guy I like. I think if you're immersed in this stuff, you just, you, you just pick up on stuff, you know, throughout the off season and you might, you know, you might not be able to you know say why you like this guy better, but you might just, you know, have this, this intuition just based on everything you've been reading, seeing, hearing.
0: Yeah. And that's certainly not always going to be right. And none of this is always going to be right, but there's something to like, I've watched this guy and I like how he plays, or I think this offense is going in the right direction, even though I don't have the specific numbers to point to why, or just like, between, you know, between these two players, this is the one I feel better about. There's, there's enough that goes into that feeling yeah. to make it worth not ignoring. So I, I agree with those buckets of comparisons. Chris Davis on Facebook wonders, how much of an auction budget, percentage-wise, do you recommend spending on your top four guys? Chris lists quarterback, running back one, RB two, wide receiver. I would start by disagreeing that the quarterback is one of those top four guys. I think if we're talking about the top guys, we're talking about... Basically, the two running backs, the top two wideouts, and the tight end. You kind of put all those together and figure out how you want to spread out the top of your spending among those, which actually are your top four guys. Mm-hmm. For me, it always comes down to how much they end up costing. I don't end up being the guy spending on the top mm. running backs at any point. It's just my approach.
1: Yeah, and, and I'd say listen to Matt here because he has much more experience in auctions <laughs> than I do. But um, my, you know, my general strategy is different. I actually kind of like the like studs and duds strategy in auctions. I mean, auctions are, are fun because you, you can go in there and you can land you know Saquon Barkley and Julio Jones if you're willing to spend up for them, which you can't do that in a draft. You can buy in an auction two first-round fantasy picks. So I sort of like loading up on like three or four like high-end guys and then sort of you know spending the rest of my money on like one or two dollar kind of upside bench guys
0: yeah and the the good thing is not only that you everybody gets a shot at every single player but there are also a variety of strategies you're not just sitting in one spot in the draft and choosing among the guys that make it to you you are constantly evaluating what you're doing, deciding whether to be flexible on a player or sticking to your prices and you know, deciding on the fly how you feel about yep. all the players where they go. I say I'm not the guy who ends up spending for the top running backs, not because I think that's necessarily a bad idea. It's just the way I do it. I would be more likely to be in, in on the top wideouts because they tend to go if we're talking like a $200 budget and a normal size lineup, they tend to be about 10 to maybe even $15 less than the top running back. So I think there's a better value in there without a huge gap in terms of production. And I think that at running back, you can find better value in like the second half of the second round to early third round guys, maybe even middle of second round where they go significantly less than the top shelf of running backs.
1: Yeah. Tons of ways to attack auctions. I think auctions even more so than drafts, you need to be flexible and not go in with a plan and, you know, Tell yourself you're sticking to it no matter what. Um, The MVP board will give you auction values based on your league rules. And I believe you have your auction strategy guide coming tomorrow.
0: Coming tomorrow. That's right. And because I don't think we actually answered the percentage (laughs) question, I'll try to figure out these numbers on the fly. I would say among those four, I would probably tend to spend about somewhere between 50 and 60% on those top four players on my
1: roster. Top four, including the quarterback, which is probably getting, what, like 5% 10%? I mean, I would say four
0: starters between running back and, and yeah. wide receiver, and, and probably closer to 60%. I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of $110 out of a $200 yeah. budget.
1: Yeah, I I, you know, I wrote down like 50%, 60% on two or three guys. That's sort of how I'd go after it. Probably get a high-end running back and a high-end wide receiver and go from there. Mm-hmm. At
0: fuzzy underscore red on Twitter, at says, 12-team keeper league, non-PPR scoring. We don't see a lot of those in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeper must move up three draft positions each year that you keep him. So he's wondering if he should keep Julian Edelman in the fourth round this year or David Njoku in the eighth round. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it'd be Edelman for me. Um, I think these guys are about equal in like value considering their rounds you're keeping to max. I think Edelman is about a fourth rounder. Njoku is about an eighth rounder. But you know, when you're just keeping one guy, I like to just keep the better player. You know, The guy mm-hmm. who's going to score more raw points. And also, you know, tight end, I think, is more replaceable. It's going to be easier to replace Njoku than it will be to replace Edelman.
0: I agree, and I, I'm not worried about losing a fourth-round pick to get Edelman. If It might be more of a factor if we're talking about a second-rounder, but I don't think you're giving up on a stud right there. John Sefton from Facebook also is wondering about Edelman. He's wondering if he should keep Julian Edelman or Damian Williams in a PPR league. For me... It depends a little bit on how many wide receivers you start, whether it's three or two. If it's three, I'm pretty easily leaning toward Edelman here because I think he's a good way to start your wide receiver core in a PPR, starting three wideouts. If it's two, I could see going for Williams. I would have them both valued in pretty much the same range, right around the 3-4 turn. So I like the safety of Edelman. Yep. There's certainly upside to Williams, but you know, we've yeah. addressed on here that I'm not the hugest Williams backer this year. Yep,
1: I have my concerns with Williams. I, I'm probably a little bit higher on him than you are. So Williams would be my pick here. I, I just think there's a better chance he tilts the league in your favor and he's like, you know, a real difference maker. I totally agree though, Edelman is safer. So if you're looking to go that route, then Edelman would be the pick. But I'm I'm gonna go for the upside with Williams here.
0: Eric West on Facebook, his league keeps two players year to year. He has uh, Christian McCaffrey locked in as one of his keepers. Wondering who the second should be. Antonio Brown, Tyreek Hill, and Andrew Luck.
1: I think it's pretty easily Hill, right? I mean, mean, both for this year and long term. Even with the off-field issue with Hill, I think he has the most upside long term. I agree.
0: I don't think that one's close. Uh, Jeffrey Worrell from Facebook, do I keep Nick Chubb in the ninth round or James Conner in the 15th? I mean they're very similar. Connor's mm-hmm. ahead of Chubb in our rankings. So if you're just saying who do I keep for 2019 and it doesn't matter that much beyond that, then I would say Connor especially for the six-round difference. Yeah,
1: that was my initial reaction is that it should be Connor. Then I started thinking about it, though, you know, if if you can keep this guy forever, I think Chubb becomes more interesting cuz mm-hmm. I do, you know, I just think he's the better player and I think 2-3 years down the road who knows where Connor is? I think, um, you know, Chubb's a good bet to, you know, still be a feature back in the NFL.
0: I agree that Chubb has much more long-term upside. If you are looking down that path, though, I would caution to check around the league at other similar young stud backs and see how long they stay young stud backs for. I think it's going to come down more to a a 2019 decision than a long-term future. But I also think that they're both going late enough in terms of keeper value here that if you have a, uh, a favorite between them, if you just like Chubb better, feel better about keeping Chubb, then go
1: for it. Yeah, they're both awesome options. I mean, I don't know if you can like trade the rights to Nick Chubb or something. I <laughs> think you know throw, throwing either of those guys back doesn't doesn't feel right. Right.
0: Jim Palmer on Facebook uh, had a great career for the Orioles. Is Darius <laughs> Geis worth protecting in a, quote, Super Dynasty League? I don't know exactly what a Super Dynasty League <laughs> sounds is. Sounds fun. That's Maybe. what I'm curious about. First of all, I'm, I would guess that that means it. it's deeper or yeah. rosters are deeper or something along those lines and in that case I would certainly say yes.
1: Yeah I, I think you're keeping guys in any dynasty league at this point I mean the guy's still super young and if he can get over that knee injury I think you know he still has a chance to be you know even an RB1 in fantasy I think is still in his range of outcomes.
0: Yes now if you're choosing whether to protect him versus other similar players in terms of current uh, redraft value, then, you know, that that certainly gets more dicey and yep. it, we'd have to know more details on that. But in general, yes, I would hang on to Geis and, and not overreact to his current situation. At Chris Kirshen on Twitter has pick 1.03 in a PPR league. He has Alvin Kamara as a keeper. Assuming that Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey go in the top two spots, should he take Zeke Elliott, David Johnson, or DeAndre Hopkins next?
1: So I actually put this in the MVP board. You know, I I gave Kamara to Chris's team and I marked uh, Saquon and uh, McCaffrey off. And the MVP board said Zeke was your top option. And he was followed by Julio Jones, Travis Kelsey, Odell Beckham all ahead of David Johnson. And that's because the MVP board is you know taking into account the fact that you already have Kamara and devaluing the rest of those running backs a bit. I would definitely go Zeke as my top mm-hmm. option. Um, I might still lean, though, DJ, just to lock up that second elite backs. Again, I do think there's quite a bit of drop-off after those top five backs. But nothing wrong with Julio. And again, nothing wrong with... Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, if he's you know your favorite wide receiver,
0: I agree with Zeke first. I would I'd flip a coin between DJ and Julio to mm-hmm. be honest, and you know same deal with Hopkins. I I would take Julio over Hopkins in PPR especially, but you know I could see going either way between yep. them. Matt Dixon on Facebook is picking sixth in a ten team PPR league. If the top five picks are all running backs, what wide receiver do you take? He's not giving us the option of a running back. Mm-hmm. If one of the top five running backs remains, do I take that guy? or the wide receiver, I think, first of all, you take the top five running back if it's possible, right?
1: Yep, definitely top five running back, and again, Julio Jones, still my top-ranked wide receiver, but I can't argue with DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams there, you know, if that's the guy you like.
0: And I would say, going into doing the perfect drafts, I would have been a little bit more wishy-washy on whether to to take David Johnson or Julio Jones there, Mm -hmm. but Doing those made me think that I would like to get a running back in round one yep. to the point where it it, may, it stops making sense, I guess. I feel better about starting with a running back there. I agree with Julio as the top wide out. And if we're past those top five, I, I guess Julio would be up next. I might still be looking running back. It's certainly not yeah. comfy to pass on running backs in that range.
1: 10-team, though. Right. 10-team yeah, I mean, 10, 10 and it's PPR. So I think I, I would lean wide receiver there over you know any running back outside those top five yeah i, I
0: suppose unless i start two wideouts, i would lean going um julio there and then you could come back with whatever running back makes it to the second round pick and in yeah. the third you've got a better chance of choosing among Devontae freeman carry johnson uh aaron jones and leonard
1: Fournette. yeah and, and a 10-teamer i think you're you're it's a pretty safe bet that you know joe mixon Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, one of those guys is going to get back to you in the second and round. Or Todd I think, Gurley. Yeah, or Todd Gurley, exactly. I think pairing one of those guys with Julio or any of those wideouts is, is a nice way to start. Yeah,
0: I agree. At Ginger Canuck, who we've gotten questions from before on here on Twitter, how many later round high upside guys do you generally draft as bench stashes?
1: So, I mean, if we're talking about how to, you know, build out your bench, for me, I would probably use one spot. At each position, you know, at running back and wide receiver for a safer guy, you know, someone I can plug in for like a floor performance, so like a Mohamed Sanu, I know is one of our favorites, you know, Dion Lewis at running back, maybe. But then to me, the rest of my bench spots, I want to use on guys who could really be difference makers throughout the season.
0: My first thing here is I think that people often think of high upside in, in finger quotes and boom bust being the same thing. I don't think a guy has to be boom bust to be high upside. Like Dion Lewis is a good example. I think you could call him a high upside guy because he starts out as half of the backfield with Derrick Henry and gets big upside if Derrick Henry gets hurt or if Derrick Henry disappoints. So I think he can be a floor guy and a high upside guy. So Anthony Miller is another example. I think he's a high upside guy, but not really a boom bust guy. Josh Gordon, on the other hand, total boom bust player. So if we're talking about boom bust. I wouldn't go beyond like one or two late in your draft. If we're talking high upside, that's pretty much all I'm looking for from round 12 on. I mean, at, at some point, Mohamed Sanu, you just take him because he's a, a stupid value and you can't leave him on the board. But otherwise, in that range, I, I'm always going to lean toward the guys that I think have high
1: ceilings. Yeah, and to me, once you're talking about bench spots, there's really no such thing as a bust. Right. Like in most cases, we're going to be cycling these guys in and out of our rosters and, you know, working the waiver wire throughout the season. So, again, you're just looking for guys that can become fantasy starters at minimum, maybe become, you know, guys who really push you over the top.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing, I guess, that I'm working in beyond just straight fantasy point upside is if I'm deciding between two receivers, which one do I envision possibly turning into a guy that I can actually put in my lineup week after week? Trey Quinn's a good example. I don't think Trey Quinn's going to put up big numbers, but I could certainly see him being a guy that catches four to five passes a week most of the weeks right. of the season. So I feel comfy putting him in my lineup and not having him on my bench when he's having good weeks and having him yeah. in the lineup when he stinks. Yeah, and
1: that's a big difference between basketball and lineup setting leagues. You know, um, you know, Trey Quinn works better for lineup setting leagues versus, you know, I don't know, Brashad Perriman or, or whatever <laughs> is a basketball pick who you might just give you, you know. Two big weeks and then nothing the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, two big weeks is a big projection for <laughs> Rashad Perriman, I guess. I'm still, I'm
1: still lying He looks like Tampa's uh, third wideout.
0: <laughs> That's going to do it for this mailbag episode, especially if Jared's talking about Rashad <laughs> Perriman. Head over to draftsharks.com now to check out the perfect draft articles. that fit, Check out the one that fits your particular league format. We have 10, 12, 14 team perfect drafts on the site now. If you draft by auction, we've got the auction guide coming your way Friday. Of course, you can find all the other articles we already posted available on the site. we got sleepers, overvalued, undervalued players. We've got our annual Big Three articles. There are hundreds of in-depth player profiles, constantly updated preseason projections with the MVP board that customizes the rankings and draft plan to fit your specific league and there's a free mock draft trainer if you're still on the fence about whether to actually become a DS insider. You can also find us on Twitter where are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at Shalf DS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shalf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.